we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in Philippians chapter number four, and we took a break a few weeks ago from our study of the life of David. And it's not that we needed a break. I just believe that the Spirit of God was leading me to address uh, a particular theme and uh, from Philippians chapter number four. And so in the last few weeks, we've been looking at this theme, Stand Fast. Uh, we're living in a pressure-packed world. Uh, people are under... Uh, just unfathomable levels of, of pressure and stress and discouragement in this hour in which we live. And God has given us a word of exhortation here in Philippians 4 that we're to stand fast. And, of course, the Apostle Paul was writing this to the church at Philippi. This was a, a real church dealing with real problems, real people. And uh, they, they were being reminded to keep and maintain their joy. All throughout the book of Philippians, uh, we're going to find that word joy used often. And uh, so Paul is admonishing them here in this fourth chapter to stand fast. Now, we looked last week at standing fast in partnership. We noted verses 2 and 3 and how that we as a church are in this together. Aren't you glad? We're not going through these troubled seas by ourselves. We're, we're not trying to navigate this life all alone. First of all, the Lord is with us. Praise God. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And not only is the Lord with us, but we have one another. And uh, uh, what a blessing it is. And that's, that's why that note is so meaningful to me that I read, and I know it's meaningful to you, is that God has used our church to be a blessing uh, to those dear folks, and I want you to know God's used those dear folks to be a blessing to us. And that's what this is all about. We're here to encourage and, and worship the Lord together and encourage one another. We're to stand fast. And so he said, stand fast in your partnership, verses 2 and 3. But this morning, I want us to look at this thought, stand fast in praise. Stand fast in praise. Now, we're going to read the entire portion here, verses 1 through 9. And then we'll come back to verse number four in just a moment. So let's read it together. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace 
shall be with you. I want you to note with me, if you would, please, verse number four. In fact, I just want to invite you to read this with me. Would you please? We'll just read verse four together. Let's read it. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that is ours to come together and uh, to come apart from this world into your presence where you have raised us up together with you in heavenly places. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us through your word this hour. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enable me and empower me to communicate clearly what you've placed upon my heart and what is revealed in the pages of your word. I pray that you would give us understanding, O Lord, that we might receive your truth and that we might be obedient to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. The word rejoice means to be glad. In fact, Webster defines, or defines it this way, to experience joy and gladness in a high degree. Not just a low degree, not just in a I'm getting by degree, but in a high degree. If we're rejoicing, we're experiencing this joy and gladness in a high degree. He goes on to say to be exhilarated, to be exhilarated, to make joyful, to gladden. And not only are we uh, glad if we're rejoicing, but we are through our rejoicing making others glad. That's what Paul is saying to the church. He said, I know you have a lot of problems. I, I know that there are many issues that you are dealing with, but I just want to encourage you to stand fast in the Lord and learn to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, in case you didn't hear it the first time, aren't you glad he put it in there again for us? Again, I say rejoice. In other words, no, I really mean it here, church. I'm, I'm pretty serious about this. I want you to learn to rejoice. Uh, our world is a sad world, and depression is a major theme, a major problem that people are dealing with in our world today. In an article published on May 10th of this year, uh, the headline is 51% of young Americans say they feel down, depressed, or hopeless. While many young people have been spared from the harshest physical consequences of the coronavirus pandemic, an increasingly large volume of research suggests that they are facing drastic mental health consequences. In June of 2020, the CDC uh, released data that suggested one in four adults aged 18 to 24 have considered suicide. And according to the recently released Harvard Youth Poll, 51% of young Americans said they that at least several days in the previous two weeks, they had felt down, depressed, or hopeless. This is the youth of America. Young people reported a range of serious mental health symptoms in the Harvard survey. 68% say they have little energy. Well, I've got bad news for them. It doesn't get any better from here, right? 68% of our young people have little energy. 59% say they have trouble with sleep. 52% find little pleasure in doing things. 49% have a poor appetite or are overeating. 48% have trouble concentrating. 
32% are moving slowly or are fidgety to the point that others notice. 28% have thoughts of self-harm. I mean, these are signs, these are indicative of the, the trouble that our young people in our culture are experiencing today. I think of my youth, and you think of your youth as some of the most exciting times of your life and the most energetic and the most hopeful times of your life. But our young people in America are suffering from depression. Young people, the author goes on to say, have experienced this crisis on all sorts of fronts with disruptions to their education through the pandemic, the economic loss, worries over friends, family, and their future. And the headline that follows is, but it's not just COVID. Experts have long raised concern about a growing mental health crisis among young people. In 2018, researchers from the World Health Organization, led by Columbia University, uh, surveyed nearly 14,000 first-year college students from eight different countries. They found that 35% of those first-year college students were struggling with mental illness. The most common was major depressive disorder, with 21% of respondents experiencing lifelong symptoms, followed by general anxiety disorder impacting approximately 19% of those surveyed. In other words, the kids that were going to college, 20% of them said, I'm depressed, and 20% said, I'm anxious. I'm anxious. A November 2020 survey overseen by the National Association of uh, Student Personnel Administrators of 3,500 full-time students currently enrolled in four-year degree programs found that 81%, 81% of college students are experiencing significant levels of anxiety. In another article entitled, Why is America So Depressed? It was written by a man named Lee Siegel and published in January in the New York Times. In his article, Mr. Siegel gives some statistics. He says the American Psychiatric Association reported that from 2016 to 2017, the proportion of adults who described themselves as more anxious than the previous year was 36%. In 2017, more than 17 million American adults had at least one major depressive episode, as did 3 million adolescents aged 12 to 17. 40 million adults now suffer from anxiety disorder, nearly 20% of the adult population. Among all Americans, the suicide rate has increased by 33% from 1999 to 2017. Uh, we live in a time where we have more technology, we have more connectivity, we have more uh, prosperity. And in the midst of all of these things, we have more soul problems than we've ever had as a nation. And there's no doubt the reason why. Because we live in a nation that has turned its back on God. We've learned, we live in a nation where the Bible is scorned and ridiculed and where immorality and wickedness are permitted and not only permitted but promoted. And now our children are growing up in that cesspool of iniquity. And when you float in that cesspool all day, it has effects on the soul. 
Mr. Siegel in his article said this, and this was, again, I want you to have the time. He, he wrote this observation in January of 2020. That was before the pandemic and all of the trouble that ensued in the summer. He makes this statement. All of this mental carnage is occurring at a time when decades of social and political division have set against each other, black and white, men and women, old and young. It's only gotten worse since he wrote this. Beyond bitter social antagonisms, the country is racked by mass shootings, the mind-bending perils of the Internet, revelations of widespread sexual uh, predation, uh, virulent competition, the specter of antibiotic-resistant bacteria, grinding student debt and crisis in housing, health care and higher education. The frightening environment helps cause depression. Depression causes catastrophic thinking, and catastrophic thinking makes the environment seem even more terrifying than it is. Uh, we live in the generation of hopelessness. The problem our young people have is they have no hope. And because they have no hope, they have no joy. And therefore, they feel as if there is nothing for them to live for. The author describes the process of his thinking as he tries to free himself from depression. And he, he uses this phrase. He says, the process of struggling to conceive of a positive idea of the future that would enable me to leap out of my depression. He said, I, I'm just trying to figure out a way to think and view the world in a positive way that will enable me to leap out of my depression. And we live in a world where many of our young people are experiencing the same thing. So how are we as Christians to stand fast as we live in the midst of this? Well, we have something they do not possess. You see, I have some good news for Mr. Siegel. In his article, he speaks of his need for empathy. I want you to know there is one who has empathy for him. There's one who has empathy for you today. No matter the situation that you're under, it is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who spoke this world into existence. He looked upon you and saw you in your sinful condition. And because of his love for you, he came and became a man and lived the righteous, sinless life upon this earth until he died on the cross of Calvary and made the payment for your sin. He came out of the grave on the third day, the resurrected Son of God to impart life to all who believe. And I'm so glad for the day when I, as a seven-year-old boy, heard that message and received the Lord Jesus as my Savior. And that day I received hope that no man could ever take from me. I received joy unspeakable and full of glory that day. And if you know the Lord Jesus, you have that hope and you have that joy. Oh, listen, let's not get over it and let's not lose it. Amen? Because the world so desperately needs to see it modeled. Now, you and I can respond in, in one of two ways to our circumstances. Number one, we can complain or despair. And a lot of us are pretty proficient at that, including the man behind the pulpit. Or we can choose to be thankful and learn to rejoice. Have you ever thought with so much today that we have to complain about, that we need to remind ourselves uh, that we should be thankful 
and that we should learn to express gratitude to the Lord. Have you told the Lord you're thankful today? Thankful for the life that he gave you. Thankful for the ability he gave you to be here today. Thankful that you have a Bible. Thankful that you have a home in heaven. Thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you. There's a lot to be thankful for today. Have you learned to express thanks to one another? Listen, we don't need to take our family for granted. We don't need to take one another for granted. We ought to express our thanks and gratitude. Uh, with so much to be stressed about, we must reflect upon how blessed we are. Uh, listen, I, I, my sins have been forgiven. <laughs> There's no condemnation on me. I have a home in heaven. No matter how this thing shakes out down here, I'm on the winning side. It doesn't matter what political party's in power. I have King Jesus sitting on the throne of my life. I've been blessed beyond all measure. And if you know the Lord, so have you. There was so much to be discouraged about. You and I must learn to encourage ourselves as David did at Ziklag. And we have to work at that, don't we? You have to be intentional because we can get discouraged. I get discouraged. Somebody can say something and, and just um, any, any kind of a comment. If, if I'm not careful, I, if it's not the right kind of comment, it, it will discourage me and I, I'll run down the road with that thing and, and uh, just kind of end up in the land of gloom and despair if I'm not careful. Well, look, you, you're prone to the same thing, and we have to learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. David at Ziklag, what did he do? He embraced the promises of God, and may God help us to embrace his promises. You see, God doesn't change as circumstances do. God is forevermore the same. So may the Lord help us not to lose our joy. You see, the world is a gloomy place, and the world is absent of joy. And if the world's ever going to know joy, they're going to know it from those who have it. So may God help us not to lose our joy. Now, I'm going to give you three important truths this morning that all of us need to remember, three important truths that we all need to remember if we're going to learn to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, let's write them down and follow along with me if you would. Number one, remember the source of your joy. Remember the source of your joy. Notice again, Colossians, or Philippians rather, chapter 4 uh, and verse 4, and uh, read it with me, would you please? Uh, we're just going to read until we get to the halfway point, to the colon, all right? So let's just read just those what? One, two, three, four, five words. Can you read those with me? Let's try it. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. All right. Now, the first word is rejoice. The next three words, say those with me. In the Lord. In the Lord. Remember the source of your joy. You see, joy is not found in a substance. No drug pusher can give you something that'll, that'll bring joy to you. No doctor can write a prescription that'll give you joy. Joy's not in a substance. No bartender can offer you anything that will give you joy. Joy's not found in a substance. It's not found in a human relationship. There are human relationships that bring us gladness, and we enjoy them. But if that's the basis of our joy, all human relationships struggle and have problems, and ultimately when we die, they all come to an end if there's nothing left for us which there is, 
But joy cannot be found simply in a human relationship. Joy is not found in an experience. It's not found in a political movement or a victory. It's not found in pleasure. It's not found in wealth or wisdom. Solomon attests to all of this, does he not, in the book of Ecclesiastes? It's not found in accomplishment. It's not found in power. It's not found in position. Joy is found only in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important question you and I are faced with this morning is this, are you in the Lord? In other words, do you know him as your Savior? Have you entered into a relationship with him? You see, all of us are separated from God as a result of our sin. And because of our sin, uh, we deserve death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That death is not only physical death, it is eternal death, spiritual death forever in the lake of fire, separated from God for all eternity. But God who loves us gave his son to die for us and impart eternal life to us so that we might be restored into the proper relationship with him. And when we enter into that relationship with him, we come into a new position. We are now in Christ. If any man be in Christ... Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We have hope. We have forgiveness. We have a relationship with our creator. And you say, well, we're in this world, pastor, and we're living in this world. Well, that's true. But we're in Christ. And although we're living in the world, we're no longer of the world. We are a part of the family of God. We're citizens of a better country. Our inheritance is in the land that is yet to come. Our hope, therefore, is not in this world. Our hope is in the Lord. And because we're in him, he is in us. So we need to remember the source of our joy. Our joy is in the Lord. Now, there are two things we think about here as we consider this source. Number one, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22 and 23, the Bible said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The second grace manifest there is joy. Uh, you and I have joy as a result of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. Now, if you know the Lord Jesus, you've been born again. And you've been born again when the Spirit of God came to live and dwell within you. And the presence of the Spirit of God in you will never leave you. Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he is the earnest of our inheritance. And we're sealed, I mean, we're sealed by him unto the day of redemption. So I have the Spirit of God living in me, and if you're a believer in the Lord, you have the Spirit of God living in you. And as I submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, as I am obedient to the command given in Ephesians chapter 5 to be filled with the Holy Ghost, as I allow the Holy Ghost to fill me, as I allow the, uh, the Holy Ghost to control my life, as I learn to to remove the things in my life that crowd out the presence of Christ, that crowd out the effect of the Holy Spirit in me, as I am completely filled, not with myself, but with him, then he produces joy in my heart. James Montgomery Boyce writing says this concerning this word rejoice. He said, the word rejoice is interesting 
for it is only a variant form of the word joy, which is one of the great Christian virtues and the fruit of God's Spirit. Consequently, rejoicing like joy is supernatural. I want you to get that. It is supernatural. For you and I to have joy, it is nothing less than the mighty power of God in our lives. There's not a lot to be joyful about down here. I've already talked to you about that. But there's a whole lot to be joyful about up there. And because our God came to dwell within us, while we're down here, uh, we're living in the reality of what we have up there. And that means I'm living on a different plane. And though I'm faced with these dreadful circumstances, I can live in the joy of the Holy Spirit of God. He goes on to say that joy issues from the nature of God. You see, as the life of Christ is in us, I want to ask you a question. Do you think the Lord is up there in the heavens worried about who's going to win the next election? Do you think he's, he's frustrated uh, by the news that will come out next week? or the news that has come out this week? No. Is he worried about the economy? No. In fact, we don't have to be worried about it either because my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. You say, Pastor, where do you get that? I get it from the Bible. Who gave me the Bible? God gave me the Bible. And he means what he says, and he says what he means. You see, I don't have to be filled with all this stress and anxiety and darkness and depression. No, I understand that I have the Spirit of God living in me, and it is the nature of God to produce joy in my heart. I want you to tell you, I want to tell you, there's no complaining in heaven. There's no hand-wringing in heaven. There's no gloom and despair in heaven. And friend, I want you to, I want you to know that the Spirit of God dwells within you. And if we'll yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, if we'll be filled with him, he will produce joy in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. But as we think about the fact that he is the source of our joy, not only do we have the fruit of the Spirit in us, but we have the product of the truth of God's Word. Nehemiah chapter number 8 and verse number 10. Uh, then he said unto them, this is, uh, the, the scribe, Ezra, he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, why were they sorry? I want to tell you why they were sorry. They had gathered together, and Ezra the scribe was reading the law to them. He was reading it, and he was preaching it. He was proclaiming it. He was giving the sense. And they were confronted by their own sinfulness. You see, they had returned from captivity. Why was it that they were in captivity? It was because of their rebellion, because they sinned against God. And now they had returned, and they're being confronted with their sinfulness, and they're weeping and they're repenting over their sinfulness. When is the last time you and I wept and repented? As they wept and repented, they were reminded, wait a minute, don't weep, don't cry. This is, this is a day of victory. He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is it that produces that joy in us? It is not how we feel. It is not what we hear in the news. It is not dependent upon the circumstances of our lives. No, the joy that we possess is dependent upon one thing, the truth of what God has said. John MacArthur said, knowledge of God is the key to rejoicing. Those who know the great truths about God find it easy to rejoice. 
Think about it. What sets us off? Well, did you hear about this in the news? Did, did you hear about what's coming down the pike and, 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 and news that comes to us in our family and trouble that our children have or trouble that we have in our relationships and the car, you know, the car, I mean, it's, it's not working. And, and we just, we just put a, uh, had a tune up and we just spent $800 on it. Now the refrigerator's not working and the, the washer and dryers tore up and, and it just seems like everything's falling apart. You know what happens to us in the midst of all that? Yeah. You know what happens? We forget who God is. We forget who God is. How do we, how do we interpret the events of our world? We interpret the events of our world in the light of the truth of God. And when we know God, and when we know God's word, and that word of Christ is dwelling richly in us, when these besetting things happen, we can interpret them in the light of God's truth. And sure, we've got problems. Sure, we've got strife. But guess what? My God shall supply all my need. So joy is not dependent upon the news cycle or the circumstances or the feelings or emotions that we experience. Joy is based upon the truth that we know. And when those people were confronted with the truth of who God was, sure, there was a moment of weeping and repentance, but then there was a moment of joy because you know what they remembered? That God loved them, and despite their sin that took them into bondage, what did God do? He brought them back again. What a glorious Savior. Remember the source of your joy in the Lord. Here's the second thing. Remember the sufficiency of your joy. The sufficiency of it. Notice again, let's look at it. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? Always. That means in all things and at all times, you and I are commanded to rejoice. Now, some of us know it's easier to rejoice at certain times than it is at other times. So how is it that we're to stay joyful all the time? By the way, you don't always have to be happy. Happy is based on circumstance, right? Joy is based on truth and what we know. I mean, many of people have stood at the graveside and wept tears. They wept tears of sorrow because there's their loved one. But in the midst of those tears, do you know what they've been strengthened by? The joy of the Lord. Because they know that that loved one is with the Lord, and they know that soon they're going to be with them. So it doesn't mean we're always happy, but it means we're always joyful. You see, we're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have good days and bad. We're going to have trials. We're going to have triumphs. There are circumstances that are going to come to us. But my, my joy is not dependent upon my circumstances. It is dependent upon the Lord. You know, circumstances change, don't they? But do you know what never changes? Our God. Do you know that he's always loving? He's always gracious. He's always kind. Hey, he's always for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? He's always tender. He's always compassionate. He's always merciful. Hey, he's always good. He never changes. Happiness is entirely external. James Montgomery Boyce wrote, it's circumstantial. For some, it's fame. For some, it's power or good looks. These are all external. And when they go, the happiness goes with them. But friend, if your joy is in the Lord, it's always there. 
He's altogether sufficient. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Have you memorized that verse? Many of you have. You say that's God's purpose for our lives, right? And it is, to conform us to the image of his son. But it's how he accomplishes that purpose. Sometimes we don't like it. Because the Bible says he uses all things. Now, none of us can stand up and say everything that happens to us is good. You know, none of us can say that. You know, the day the, the dog bit you and, you know, Plumbing gave out and problems came and anxiety and strife, and kids arguing, all these things that happened to us, right? All those things aren't good. Physical diagnosis, cancer, whatever the case may be, the death of a loved one, these are all not good things, but God uses all things and he works them together for good to accomplish his purpose in our lives, and we know this. That means we have confidence in it. Now, how is it that we know it? How is it that I can know that all things are working together for good? Well, I can only know it because God said it. I can only know it because God said it. And though circumstances may speak contrary, I understand what God said. God said he's going to work all of this together for good. I know it because God said it. I know it because I believe it. You see, not only did he say it, but now I believe it. That means I receive it. And that's what gives me the confidence to say, I know. I know. So when bad things happen, when difficulties come, when your family members look at you and say, what are we going to do now? You're going to say, we're going to trust the Lord because he's working this together for good. You see, remember the sufficiency of your joy. Rejoice in the Lord. What's the word? Always. Let me give you a third thought. Remember the significance of your joy. It's important to be a joyful Christian. You might be the person today who thinks you're exempt. You say, well, I'm not a happy, bubbly personality. Well, there's a lot of unhappy, unbubbly personalities but you're not exempt from being full of joy. You don't have to be over the top and plastic to have joy. Oh, no. But God's commanded that his children be joyful. And if I'm filled with the Spirit, which he's commanded me to be, then I understand the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and then the rest. So joy needs to be a part of who I am. And if God is in me, he's going to produce joy through me, right? So notice what he says, rejoice in the Lord always, but the sentence doesn't end there, does it? And what's the next word? Again. In case you didn't hear it the first time, let me say it the second time. And again, I say rejoice. Cheer up. Rejoice in the Lord. Learn to praise him in the midst of your problems. Learn to be hopeful in the midst of sorrow and despair. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul here is reinforcing this admonition to them to rejoice. He's saying, make the choice. 
And it is a choice to rejoice. You see, the flesh says, complain, murmur, gripe. The Spirit says, no, be thankful, sing. You know, when we come in here on Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever the case may be, we come together, we typically have a hymn or two, right? We sing. This is an opportunity for us to sing to the Lord. We're ministering to him. We're not here to impress each other. We're not here to say, well, you know, these people are really talented. We need to listen to them. Oh, no, we're here to worship God. Some people are a little bit too dignified to sing. We need to lose our dignity. We're here to worship God, right? We're here to praise him. That's why we sing. So lift your voice and sing. When you, when you look at the scripture where it tells us in, in the, the book of the Psalms to rejoice, you're going to find that singing accompanies that, that command of rejoicing, praising God, worshiping the Lord. It's good to worship God. It's good to sing to him. It's good to say amen. It's good to lift your hand, lifting up holy hands, it says to people, well, you know, I don't want them to get charismatic over there. Well, most of the places, are they're not too worried about them getting charismatic. They're worried about them freezing up and drying, drying up, you know, freezing up and drying up, crumbling up, blowing up. It's okay to worship God. It's good to worship God. Worship the Lord. Rejoice in him. And understand how important it is to rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Now, I just want to give you four quick thoughts on why it's important. And they're quick. I mean, they're really quick. First of all, it's important for evangelism. If we're going to win a lost world to Jesus Christ, we have to have the joy of the Lord. I'd like to give you a gospel track. Hope you come to our church. That's not going to get it done. Well, you know I'm a Christian. Well, not by the way you talk, I don't. You know, I, I said earlier, I, I said, it seems as if we've almost lost an entire generation, not fully, but I think. They tell us, these authors write these books and tell us about how many young people are leaving churches. It's not because of our orthodoxy or lack of it. It's because of our lack of joy. I mean, those of us who, hold, who have the truth, uh, I don't know, for some reason we think it's, 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 it's uh, uh, a companion of the truth to be hateful, to be grouchy about it. Well, who's attracted to that? Nobody. Nobody. If you want your children to replicate the faith that you have, then create an atmosphere of joy in your home. Create an atmosphere of joy. Learn to rejoice in the Lord. If we want our young people 
to hold on to the faith, if we want them to grasp a hold of what God has given us, then we need to have a joyful church. If we want a lost world to be saved, then we need to be joyful Christians. We don't need to be down in the mully grubs, down in the mouth, complaining and murmuring and griping about everything. We need to be filled with the joy of the Lord. It's invigorating. It's our strength. It's essential for evangelism. Listen to what David said. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted to thee. I'll tell you what will ignite our evangelism is when we get a hold of the joy of the Lord. It just illuminates our witness. It sweetens it so much. Edification. It's essential for evangelism. It's essential for edification, for our teaching. If we're going to teach the truth, we better have the joy of the Lord. Nobody wants to hear a boring speaker, right? Nobody wants to hear, you know, a, a, a teacher get up in front of them and, 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 and not have a passion for what they're teaching about. May God give us passion. May God give us joy. Exhortation, that's encouragement, that's persuasion. The ruler said to Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. What was it that was so persuasive about Paul? It was the fact that he had the joy of the Lord in him. Oh, we let the devil rob us of that joy. We see, you know, we see the mud and not the stars. May God help us to be joyful people for exaltation. If I'm going to praise God, I've got to have joy in my heart, right? If, if I don't, then it's hypocritical for me to praise him. Psalm 9, verse 2, I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. How am I going to sing praise to him if I'm not glad, if I'm not full of joy for what he's done for me? By the way, let me say this. Every Sunday we come in here, we don't always quite feel it to that level, but I'm going to tell you, an amazing thing happens. You can come in here and stand and sing these hymns, and when you start looking at those words and you start singing them in the company of this host, you know what happens? It gladdens your heart. It gladdens your heart. That's why we need to keep doing it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. What's the source of my joy? It's him. It's the fullness of the spirit dwelling in me that produces that joy. It is the truth of knowing God and God's word that allows me to interpret the circumstances of my life. It is the truth of that word that gives me joy. That's my source. What about my, the sufficiency of it? Always, in all things, at all times, he produces joy in me. And then lastly, as I mentioned just a second ago in closing, uh, we see uh, the significance of it and how important it is. You got to have it in your life. You got to have it in your home. And we got to have it in our church, the joy of the Lord. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.